I want to go where the moon shines bright. Welcome everyone to another episode of the It Matters to Me podcast, a show dedicated to the people who pursue a craft, skill, or simply a life's passion for no reason other than the fact that it brings them true happiness. I'm your host, Adam Casey, and did you know that in 2018, the average American ate roughly 200 pounds of meat, and that conventional beef usually requires around 65 square feet of land per quarter pound to raise cattle alone. No doubt there is serious concern over our food security as the effects of climate change become more and more real on a global scale. Enter my guest in this episode, Sarah Schlafly, in the St. Louis-based company she founded to hopefully be a solution to this dilemma. Called Mighty Cricket, they provide clean and sustainable alternative protein in the form of, yes, crickets. Sarah and I talk about how her background in helping low-income families plan their grocery budgets to thinking of the future her own daughter would inherit one day inspired her to start a business that not only was financially successful, but also environmentally conscious and responsible. We, of course, explored just what it was about crickets as a food source that caught her attention in the first place, and also get into some of the challenges that 2020 brought with major disruptions to Mighty Cricket's global supply chain. All around, this is just a fun conversation with someone who clearly has a winning idea and is doing my hometown of St. Louis proud. This one will hopefully leave you inspired to, as Sarah would say, live mighty and have an impact with whatever it is you're doing in your life. So let's get to my talk with Sarah. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of the It Matters to Me podcast. I have my guest today, Sarah Schlafly, uh, founder of Mighty Cricket. Sarah, welcome to the show. Yeah. All right, Sarah. So like I said in the intro, you know, you're the founder of Mighty Cricket, and that's obviously something we're going to get into. But something I like to do before we get to the heart of the matter uh, is give the listeners a better feel of who the guest is. And so you're the founder of Mighty Cricket. Um, but before we get into that, uh, tell me about your younger years. Uh, if, if I knew you growing up, what kind of stories do you think I would tell about you? Hmm. Wow. Uh, probably that I was a big nerd. <laughs> really shy. I was really shy when I was, when I was um, in grade school. And very quirky. Like, I think I think people kind of thought I was an oddball, but it's hard to tell what people think of you in high school because you're so worried about like <laughs> you're so worried about yourself. Um, but yeah, I was—I seemed to be very different, and part of that was driven because I was homeschooled. So when I was homeschooled um, until seventh grade, and then when I went to middle school, it was all like very different, different world. Um, but I was always really interested in entrepreneurism when I was younger. Like I remember thinking about different businesses when I was around nine, 10 years old. And I wanted to be an author and I wanted to start companies and I was always innovating to taking trash out of uh, or 
yeah, trash out recycling and trying to come up with little robotics and things like that. Interesting. Now, so um, you're a St. Louis native, correct? Yes. And so for anybody that's outside of St. Louis, I don't think they'll understand the importance of this question, but where did you go to high school? Oh, I went to a high school called Westminster. You went at Westminster? Um, I'm from Chesterfield and I went to Parkway West and one of my best friends growing up, he went to Westminster as well. So uh, yeah, no, it's always the obligatory question whenever I meet anybody from St. Louis. It's where you go to high school. Uh, so, you know, homeschooling, what kind of, how is that transition going from homeschooling to, to like a public, or not, well, Westminster's private, but going to a more public type of school? Uh, it was rough. Yeah. It was um, really challenging to navigate these social dynamics that I didn't learn when everyone else was learning them. Um, but I did notice that my education placed me a little bit more advanced than the average person at Westminster. I had a really good tutor when I was homeschooled. So it, it kind of propelled me along academically, but socially, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> a little behind. It's okay. And, and after high school, uh, what were those years like? College too. Um, socially, I didn't quite get <laughs> understanding how to make friends and, uh, I guess like the title of that book, How to Make Win Friends and Influence People. I didn't quite understand that until I was about 21. And then all of a sudden it clicked and I understood how to talk to people. And I specifically remember going to a party when I was 21. It was you know, my senior year. I was almost graduating. I graduated early. I went to this party and I didn't know anyone. <laughs> And so I sat next to someone and I just started asking her questions. And after a few questions, I struck on a question, a topic that was really, she was really passionate about. And I watched her all of a sudden get really excited and I was able to get passionate about it too. And then we started chatting and by the end of the night, it ended up being a really fun night and I was able to talk to this stranger and connect with them. And I realized, oh, making friends is like being a detective. You just, you just keep asking questions and, and listening to responses and that gives you clues closer and closer to something that they're really, someone's really interested in. And if you can show interest in what they're interested in, all of a sudden you have someone who's willing to talk to you and also may actually enjoy your company. <laughs> and so it, it was that moment, it was really defining for me, for my ability to um, launch my career as an entrepreneur from someone who didn't know how to really talk to people to yeah, now I can talk to anyone on the street. <laughs> Which is a great skill to have. And I must say, I feel like, you know, every year that goes by and the more people 
that I come across, it's kind of in the back of my mind, I'm, I kind of question like, did you miss out on those years of how to make friends and how to talk to people? Because this is, yeah, antisocial behavior is, uh, I feel like coming more, becoming more and more prevalent these days. Um, but yeah, so, you know, you're, you know, you're an entrepreneur and I'm a, and uh, you clearly probably have to sell not only yourself, but your business. Do you, when you're, and we're, we're going to get into your business itself, but when you are making those pitches, are you keeping in the back of your mind that, you know, Hey, this is bottom line. I'm just trying to make this person my friend. Yeah, I, I do keep that in mind as I'm, I'm getting introduced to them for sure. Um, before I track, before I even go into a sales type language, I just try and connect with the person first. Um, I've tried it both ways. I've tried to be just really aggressive up front and very salesy. And I realized that I don't get very far with that approach because it just turns people off. People don't want to be sold to. They want to connect with people and then um, over time, you know, support their friends. And um, maybe if, if there's a product that really solves their need, then they'll be interested in listening to the solution. But before you can tell someone the solution, you have to understand what their problem is. So I can't really make a pitch to someone blindly until I know what it is that they're trying to solve. Yeah. Well, it's kind of that adage, uh, selling ice to an Eskimo kind of thing. Like, you know, you need to know your audience probably before you go into, go into a room and sell your, and so, uh, yeah, sell your, your business, but your business is, uh, mighty cricket. Um, for anybody out there who's wondering what Mighty Cricket is, uh, what would you, how would you describe uh, what you sell? Mighty Cricket is an alternative protein company that takes uh, future proteins and blends it into comfort foods that Americans are not only willing to try but actually love. So we make um, these proteins taste delicious, and we start with. Uh, we're starting with cricket protein. So it's a protein that's really um, unpalatable in the American mind. And we're transforming it into delicious bowls of dark chocolate oatmeal and coconut cream oatmeal. And then we have protein powders that just taste like great, clean tasting chocolate and vanilla protein powders. And in this way, we're able to shift the world proteins from a highly resource intensive protein source down to um, a protein source that has really small footprint on the planet's resources. Uh, it's amazing. And, and, you know, what was the impetus for, for cricket protein? Why not, why not, you know, granted there's grocery stores full of all different types of supplements, but why, why enter the market with something like cricket protein? Well, I used to teach nutrition and cooking classes. Um, that was my first company I started. And I was really passionate about teaching people of lower income because obesity is linked to income levels. And um, I realized that protein is the hardest food source 
to find that's inexpensive, but also that's healthy. So mass-produced meats in the grocery stores may be cheap, but it's really harmful for the animals and a lot of the animals are sick. And so we're eating this meat that's just like really sick animals. And um, that's terrible for us, you know, that's going to have adverse health benefits. And then um, I noticed that a lot of the plant-based proteins um, were different derivatives of soy. So there's so much soy in our food source. And soy has a lot of harmful effects when consumed at high volumes. Um, so I real I heard that crickets require so few resources, so few inputs, and I realized that if I can just scale this industry, it's going to drive the cost of the cricket down to the point where it's a highly economic. Um, and highly equitable protein source that's also has the added benefit of being really nutritious and then environmentally uh, sound. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said earlier, when you say, you're talking about your younger years, if I feel like environmentalism is something important to you, you know, you were describing how to, you had a, an idea of how to make, uh, I think it was like recycle, recyclable, separated from trash or something. Um, is how much of an, how much, uh, how much of the environmental impact is it is part of Mighty Cricket's kind of selling point to to businesses? Well, the the confluence of nutrition and the environment is at the core of the company. So if we're going to have healthy humans, we also have to have a healthy planet. They, they go hand in hand. Um, so when we, we think about sourcing various ingredients and packaging, we're always thinking about how can we make the least amount of environmental impact. There can be some challenges to that. So packaging, for example, um, we're pretty limited in the technology that's out there right now for recyclable packaging. But I think that um, there, there's, make, there's great advancements that are being made right now, and I'm excited for what's going to come out in the next 10 years in the packaging realm. But, yeah, we, we analyze all that and try and minimize everything that – we do and what are some of those things i know i personally just i hate single-use plastics almost to a fault i'm i'm one of those where i will I, I will reuse things i probably shouldn't reuse as much as i do just because i hate the idea of you know just that the one-time plastic what are what are some of the i guess packaging innovations that you're talking about coming down the pipeline uh, well, we're getting ready to launch a chocolate bar, and the um, the materials that we use for that are 100% recyclable. Right now, we have a um, single-serve packets of oatmeal and protein powders that are 100% compostable. So it's different things like that that we try and do to make our packaging as reusable or recyclable or compostable as possible. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that speaks to 
you know, I don't want to paint a broad brush and say that there's only one part of a one part of the population that's interested in cricket protein, but I would say for the people, I would guess that for the people that are already interested in it, you know, having that environmental aspect is also hugely important because I must say I, in preparation for this show, I actually tried to go on and order some uh, pure cricket protein powder, but unfortunately it was all sold out. So I, I couldn't, I mean, it's good. That's good. I, I, uh, but unfortunately I couldn't speak, I can't speak to how it tastes, but I'm sure, um, you know, that it tastes just great, but yeah, just, I know packaging and all that stuff is, uh, you know, if I'm going to go down that rabbit hole of trying to eat a healthier lifestyle, not only for my own health, but also for the planet's health, knowing that what I'm buying also is recyclable is, you know, is a cherry on top kind of thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting on my, um, really great tasting cricket to come in. So, uh, yeah, right now we're sold out of our pure cricket powder, but we also have the um, the oatmeals and then the flavored protein powders available. Yeah, no, and and I'll and like uh, all, everything we're going to talk about, I'll make sure that I link to everything in any show notes, and so people can know where to find it. I think what you know, I want to go back to kind of the whole. Um, nutritional side of it. So uh, I'm reminded of how RX Bar started. Um, and I think it was specifically directed at CrossFitters. Um, and then, you know, it became really popular. Obviously, now it's everywhere. Now, for you, and I don't, you know, you talked about how earlier you, when you were teaching classes and trying to make protein more affordable for low income families, is there, um, are you finding so far that there is a, a certain, a specific part of the population that is attracted to cricket protein, or is it like across the board, you know, you're, you're seeing anyone from, you know, endurance athletes to, you know, uh, single parent kind of households. Our best market are outdoor enthusiasts and, um, also athletes, I would say. Um, people who are kind of used to being uncomfortable and pushing themselves a little bit. We get a lot of cyclists and um, triathletes and runners interested in it. And I think it's because these people are already used to experimenting with food a lot and trying goos and gels and supplements. And so cricket is not that far out of the ordinary of what they're trying already um it's it's pretty far out there but it's um it's a lot closer to home than uh say um like the mainstream american audience but interestingly there are a lot of people in rural areas who grew up just eating crickets like in the country (laughs) And I was really surprised about this, but people, and they would do it as dares or whatnot, but they would catch crickets and eat them as kids. Um, And so I wasn't expecting that to be a population that is not phased by crickets, but I've had a lot of people who grew up in the country and were like, oh yeah, I'd eat a bug. (laughs) Um, But our branding isn't, it might not speak as much to those people because, um, our branding is very much about um, what's the right way to say it. Um, it's 
Whatever that comes to mind. That's the be- that's the right way to say it. Okay. So I uh, yeah, I'll just end it there. <laughs> You know, I, I I can't claim that I was you know one of those kids that was on eating caterpillars and stuff in uh, the backyard or you know in in elementary school. But I would say, as a runner, um, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got about running and specifically for the distances that I try to accomplish is, um, you know, uh, nothing short of just eat the most random shit you can, um, because you know. It, you know, you can only consume so many goos, so many basically pure sugar components before your stomach revolts against you. And so, yeah, you know, eating, eating crickets, eating, I mean, I, I, I have, uh, I have no filter with what I will put in my body when I'm, when I'm training for a race, just simply for that component of trying to harden up my, my stomach. Um, so that's not surprising that you have a lot of, ath- I wouldn't call myself an athlete, but you have other people that are have athletic backgrounds like that. Yeah, totally. Well, you know, there is, uh, there is a, a familial component to, to your story and I don't mean to keep jumping back to the origins of it, but, uh, I, I've heard you talk about in other interviews, um, you know, different aspects of, of your family life that have influenced your kind of reasoning to start Marty Cricket. Would you mind explaining that a little bit? Sure. So the, I was really, um, I grew up with this story about my grandma who lived through the Great Depression. And she, she never, her family never went hungry because they owned a bakery. And they were able to feed not only themselves, but also other people in the community. At the end of the day, um, people who, to have enough money to pay for a bread, uh, they would just give away for free. And as we're about 30 years out from not being able to feed the world's population, I realized that we're entering a point where a lot of people can go hungry. And I want to be able to provide food for this population. And I thought that, um, you know, I can't just wait around for someone else to solve the problem because it's really generation Y millennials that um, it's up to us to solve because older generations are already like along in their careers. And by the time Gen Z ages into the, um, the career space, it's going to be too late. Really, so it's up to my generation, and I have the skill set. I have a, I have culinary background. I have entrepreneurism, and so I felt this uh, really great sense of responsibility for working on solving this problem. And even if I fail, um, at least I'll be attempting to do something about it to feed not only my family but also the world. Yeah, and that's so noble, especially, and I love the th- the sentiment of you know to hell with the hell with if I fail, you know, at least I'm trying to be part of the solution as opposed to just continuing on the problem. I really, I, you know, that's definitely something I appreciate um, a lot. You know, there's the Teddy Roosevelt man in the arena speech that I think is a great umbrella way of thinking of something like that of like, Hey, at least you tried. Um, But I must say you are succeeding. I would, you know, I I don't, I would, uh, you know, I, I, I would say that your, your attempt is so far successful. So 
um, there's definitely a lot of pride to be had in that. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, then, so part of that success though, I think is maybe in how you've approached the business overall and uh, meaning that instead of just trying to sell something like cricket protein powder or, you know, insect or alternative protein powder to a market that's, you know, more bougie, kind of like in New York City or something out in California that's more avant-garde. Um, you, you, you intentionally decided to focus a lot on in uh, the market in St. Louis. Uh, why is that? Well, it, um, probably the markets on the West Coast are more primed for this, but um, I know St. Louis really well. I, I grew up here. I have a lot of connections here. Um, the Schlafly family is well um, embedded here in the St. Louis community. And so uh, it seemed like to get the, the most traction the fastest, just making St. Louis my roots of the company would develop like a, a I'm hoping that the city adopts a pride for Mighty Cricket, like it adopts for Purina or the Cardinals or something like that. You know, it's, it's really a grand goal, but um, St. Louis has, you know, in the past few decades, we've really kind of seen this sad decline. And I think that the city could embrace something that's really innovative that puts us on a map. So if I moved out to California, there's all these innovative things happening and it would be a lot harder to compete on that. Um, but for St. Louis, if Mighty Cricket could put St. Louis on the map as a city that's de developing innovation and progressive thinking, that would be amazing. Also, um, St. Louis is a nice um, hub for food too. You know, being in the Midwest, there's a lot of food production happening here. Yeah, I think um, I would love nothing more than to be able to claim uh, from St. Louis that we're known for more than just the toasted raviolis. <laughs> and uh, and de and depending on your, you know, depending on which way you lean, uh, your opinion of Emo's Pizza, whether or not it's too greasy or not greasy enough, I would love, yeah, I would to I'm 100% on board with uh, St. Louis becoming known culinary-wise, at least as a place for a little bit more healthier options, you know, with what you're, with what you're selling. <laughs> Um, okay. So, you know, you're, you're young, um, and, uh, you know, I can't imagine that starting a business at your age was that easy. Um, what were, what has been some of the hardest moments uh, in getting mighty cricket kind of off the ground? Oh, um, the hardest moments. So cricket the cricket protein supplies in its um, infancy and the, the farmers themselves are on like their startups. A lot of them haven't been doing that for very long. So nailing down my supply chain has been challenging because I've had farms I was working with that went out of business and closed. Um, 
And then I had farms that just didn't have all the certifications that they needed. So trying to find the right suppliers was um, challenging at first. And then uh, with COVID, I found a really great supplier in Thailand. And um, with COVID, the shipping spiked. So the cost of sh shipping for that just went through the roof. Um, so that added an additional element of challenges. And I would say, yeah, all of 2020, I, <laughs> I started the year really on a full sprint. I had just gotten off, came off the heels of the Cricket Challenge, which I ran in October of 2019. It was very successful. I had 50 different restaurants in St. Louis putting crickets on their menu for the month of October. And we were in um, all the local PR channels. And um, so 2020, I was about to launch my chocolate bars. I was about to launch whole new packaging for retail shelves. And when March came and I was getting ready for these launches, everything just shut down and grocery stores stopped taking new product requests. And my chalk, the supplier of my chocolate bars shut down. And then even one of my um, vendors that I was sourcing my, one of the, ingredients I use in my protein powders quit manufacturing that ingredient and that was a very unique ingredient it was an upcycled sunflower flour um, so it was just a year of constantly having to reformulate and change plans and change strategies all of my restaurant vendors well half of them closed um, I my my sales just like <laughs> plummeted and went to zero and then of course all the festivals got canceled and the major uh, events that I was going to go to to connect with buyers so it was it was really um it was a challenging year for me for sure <laughs> yeah yeah to, to put it lightly I mean you, oh man and how I mean how do you even handle something like that I mean what's your what's your kind of mindset you know at this point are you just waking up every day being like all right what what's going to go off the rails today kind of thing because that is you know that's just jarring to think about you know as a, as running a business just the litany of things that could go wrong like that that have all gone wrong apparently yeah um so since this is my second business i've started i've already gotten used to the roller coaster and my senses aren't as they're very dull so it's like when something really good happens, I don't get as excited as I used to with my business, my first business. And when something really bad happens, I don't get as depressed as I used to. Um, I've just kind of like become a lot more even keeled with the things that come up. But my mindset for Mighty Cricket is I, I purposely entered the market in its infancy, very early stage, just so that I could get um, on solid footing before the market took off and really went mainstream. So I'd have a competitive edge. Um, and because I'm 
thinking about it as a long-term business and long-term solution, um, I'm not so worried about having massive growth in the first five years. I just want to really take things deliberate and be very smart and calculated in how I grow the company. Um, so putting that pressure off of having to have massive growth year over year really gets me through when everything I was working on just stops. I feel, you know, I, some days I feel low about Mighty Cricket when I have to feel like, I, when I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel for the fifth time. But overall, I see that I took my product from really rough MVP to now I have sourcing know-how. I'm a cricket connoisseur. I've tasted crickets from all over the planet, and I know where the best crickets are. Do tell. <laughs> it's like I've had crickets from Mexico and um, the U.S., Canada, Thailand, Vietnam, and so, you know, my, my cricket suppliers as I know exactly how they taste and um, I know how uh, how they'll do in my product onto it. So I have that know-how and just, yeah, supplier and distribution know-how. I have all these skills and then the brand itself has really developed. I, I love our logo now. I think it's an awesome, cute logo. Um, the name itself, Mighty Cricket, has been well-tested in the market. And people are responding really well to our uh, product selection. So the oatmeal is proving to be a pretty good choice for us. And what's your, I guess, like, what's the R&D kind of on that? You know, how do you, because obviously cricket protein is such an eclectic source of alternative protein as it is, but how do you research you know, making cricket protein waffle mix or oatmeal mix? Like, how do you know what the next venture should be as far as an alternative protein source specifically for crickets before you invest probably a lot of money and time in building up the supply chain infrastructure to be able to handle a lot of the, that demand? Are you talking about what product form to put the crickets in? Yeah, like, how, how, like you know, how do you... What what's telling you not to invest all of your money in making uh, cricket laffy taffy? I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, so I ran um, surveys about which product form to put crickets in. Everything from salad dressings to hummus and coffee and creamers and all these different things. And the top ones are protein powder, protein snacks. <laughs> And oatmeals was number five, and I, I went with oatmeals um, and the protein powders because uh, I, I wanted I wanted so the protein powders is something that you know there's market demand for. It's easy enough to do it. The type of production is similar to mixing oatmeal, but I wanted to put crickets in a form that was actually a meal that someone could enjoy, that was tasteful. And when it comes to a protein bar, which is what most everyone thinks of when they're thinking of like a new protein source, they're like, oh, I'm making it into a protein bar. 
And protein bars to me just don't taste good. And I wanted something that people eat and they're like, wow, I totally forgot about the cricket. I, it, this is just a really good tasting uh, bowl of oatmeal. And so they forget about the cricket and they forget that it's even healthy for them and just tastes amazing. And that, that's what I wanted to have the experience be for my customers. Because if it's not that, then it becomes like a dry cardboard, um, you know, protein bar that's not really ever, in my mind, going to go mainstream. And my whole goal is to get crickets to go mainstream so that I can drive down the cost so that we can feed it to people who um, need clean protein the most. Right. Yeah. And it's this positive feedback loop because then, you know, as, as the more mainstream it becomes, the more more people you can sell it to and the more people you can sell it to the probably the more mainstream it's becoming and, and that um you know i I've, I've openly stated i have no business acumen whatsoever i think the uh the one the one business class i took in in college i absolutely failed um so i'm not even trying to to act like i know what i'm talking about with markets or anything like that but you know it sounds like you do uh clearly you do um and you know, is some of that because of your formal education or are there other, you know, business models out there that you're trying to emulate or other business leaders that you're trying to emulate um, as you grow Mighty Print? Yeah, most of my skills, um, my most of my business skills were developed just by listening to others, listening to people who are more successful than me and then listening to customers too. So I do like probably 90% listening, 10% actually talking and promoting the brand. Um, I, it's funny, I my degree was in accounting, and that's really helpful for reading financial statements and preparing financial statements and being very smart with um, my cash flow and how I spend my money. But when the, the thing I learned about my first company was that I knew so little starting um starting my first company I learned more in two years than I did in like four years of higher education there's just so much I learned so when I um started this company I was really able to hit the ground running not having to learn how to do sales and business development and marketing and how to present and pitch and all this stuff. I kind of already got in practice with that. I always equate, you know, I'm, I'm building a van out right now and I'm making all sorts of mistakes, but I keep telling myself, like, it's okay. It's just a starter van. It's okay to look like garbage right now. <laughs> the next one, the next van, that's the one that's really going to count. So, uh, and, you know, go, you, the listening is so important and it's uh, one of my, favorite uh, kind of quotes uh, you know calvin coolidge former president said no man ever listened himself out of a job um, and so listening is so vital it really you know just going back to what you know uh, we're, how you were describing uh, you know making friends and being a detective it's it's listen it's it's so much of just listening and under you know not just waiting for the other person's lips to stop moving so you can respond that's uh, such a skill set to have not only in starting a business but just in being a good human being yeah and i think um 
when I first learned how to make friends, I realized it's um, listening and being a detective to ask the right questions. That's also the case when talking to customers because if I'm at an event and I'm sampling and I ask people, you know, what do you think? In the Midwest, no one's going to really tell you what they think if they don't like it. <laughs> so if it's just like, oh, it's good, you know, and it's not anything more, then I can, I can say they didn't like it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, it's like listening actively and picking up on the differences in tone when everyone's pretty much saying the same thing. Because really, and I do this too, like any startup that comes to me, I just want to tell them like, great idea, you know, go try it. Even if I think that it's not something I'd ever buy or, you know. And I'm trying to stop doing that. I'm trying to, like, actually give more constructive feedback. Like, no, I really don't see this panning out this way. Or um, be more honest because it's really hard to start a company when you're surrounded by people who just <laughs> tell you that it's all great, you know. Yeah, the the emperor has no clothes kind of moment, and uh, yeah, the mindset you know it's not personal, it's professional. I think is um, is extremely important. You know, being able to give that kind of criticism, be like, hey, your, your idea, and that don't that just <laughs> go back to the drawing board. Just just don't. Uh, you know, it's it's probably hard for people to probably to not take that personally, but I, I I can assure you that you know being able to give that criticism probably is saving somebody years. Uh, and if not thousands of dollars off their life. Um, so, <laughs> On the flip side, it's really hard to start a business and then um, be surrounded by people who aren't encouraging of it. So it goes both ways. Like you need kind of a healthy balance of um, getting real feedback from your customers, but then also having people who can support you when you want to give up because it's, Definitely, the, the, the more I think about this and the more I see, I listen to the podcast, How I Built This, it seems like almost every company that goes on that show, um, the, the main theme through it all is that they just don't give up. <laughs> like, so many founders are just like in so much debt and so on like on and on and on for years and then they just like keep trying different things and they don't give up they don't keep trying the same thing over and over again can't can't do that but eventually you know they just find a formula or find the right person to make it work and it seems like it seems like that is really feasible like any idea you have is already being done right there's really no new ideas. So it's just a matter. It's not really a matter of the idea itself. It's more of like how you position it and what your workflow is. And that takes refinement over time. That's really interesting. So you're, unfortunately, you're not the first cricket protein sourcer that's out there. So there was already somewhat of a market it is still unique enough that I, you know, like you were saying, like there was no framework to it. So you had to, you had to figure out a lot of stuff, you know, things out on your own. It's just interesting to, that, that you would see your business in that way. And I guess 
that's probably the right way to see it because then you weren't probably being overwhelmed with, I guess, beginner kind of anxiety of like, is anyone ever going to buy this anything? You already knew that, hey, people are out there. People want this. It's just now I got to be better about the process of delivering it to them. Oh, I actually, it took me um, several months to decide to, not months, years to decide to actually do this business because I didn't think that anyone would want to eat crickets, especially in the Midwest. But when I started sampling it, I realized that about one in two Americans are willing to try it. And I was like, wow, this is awesome. This is so much easier than I thought it would be to get people to try it. Um, But overall, it seems like the theme of businesses that end up making it, it's just like the founders just didn't give up. my mind is running away with all sorts of stories of people who were just like, no, just keep going. Um, just keep going. Yeah. So, uh, on the scale of what you're able to offer and as you know, Pia, you said one in two people probably aren't adverse to trying crickets. Um, out of all of the insects out there, is there an insect that people are like, just, no, just that's, that's one too far. Like one too many legs, one too many thoraxes, like bring it back. <laughs> like, I don't see tarantulas going mainstream, even though people do eat tarantulas in some parts of the country and scorpions, you know, those things are very, there's definitely a greater fear factor with those because, um, they're more, they're harmful. Like they have um, poisonous saliva or whatnot. And they're bigger and they, they just look even scarier. But the cricket, I, I started, I chose the cricket because of Jiminy Cricket. And um, I think that in the, um, in American minds, Jiminy Cricket is, a friendly approachable cartoon and then um in chinese culture i believe it's chinese where the cricket is a good luck symbol and the cricket just in very in many ways it can be really cute it has a nice chirping sound and so of all the insects it seemed like the least scary to me as just a regular american who is um, scared of eating bugs. And so I thought that for other people too, other Americans too, they'd embrace the cricket better. I I couldn't imagine somebody trying to sell me like cicadas uh, because of all the, uh, all the, uh, the annoying sounds that they, they make and everything. But crickets are definitely much more approachable. And I'm just, yeah, I don't think I've ever heard anybody describe crickets as somewhat cute. <laughs> no? That's what we're doing. We're taking, you know, we're turning the cricket into a cartoon figure that's really friendly and approachable. And it seems easier to do with the cricket than with any other bug, really. So are you able to, because you know, you talked about being able, getting sourced uh, crickets from all over the world. Are you able to, is your palate refined enough as a self-acclaimed cricket connoisseur to where you can blind taste test a cricket and know what region of the world it might have come from oh <laughs> that's awesome like this one is a argentinian cricket from 2020 <laughs> exactly no i'm not that skilled yet but that would be amazing if 
I could develop yeah. that. <laughs> uh, there's that Netflix docu- documentary, Sommelier, and uh, the intense training that I guess all wine sommeliers go through to be able to be, achieve master status. I'm thinking uh, master cricket sommelier status, being able to yeah do just that blind taste test. Exactly. Oh, that was a uh, you know Australian. 2017 early harvest <laughs> it's got hints of ash to it or so i don't know <laughs> yeah totally yeah it's pretty amazing how many different flavors uh cricket has depending on their diet and depending on other factors too but i've had really amazing tasting crickets and i've had crickets that tasted terrible and i was just blown away i'm blown away that it's all the same bug, but the variety of tastes is endless. So my crickets have um, tastes like sesame, pistachio, mushroom. It's pretty good. And is you know I've I've had cricket protein powder before, but it unfortunately came with a flavor to it, so I couldn't really, you know, and for and I'm already not somebody who any restaurant's going to be hiring to pick off, uh, to, to select their menu. But, you know, how would you describe how crickets taste without any flavoring to it? They taste very nutty. Um, and they complement chocolate really well and mushroom really well. So one of the best tasting dishes from the cricket challenge was this mushroom, and kraut dish. Uh, so this puff pastry and mushroom and then the cricket dusting on top. And that was delicious. And then one of the restaurants made a, a cricket pizza crust and then they put a pesto on top with some cheese. And that was, that was uh, really amazing too. So I think that there's so many different savory applications for crickets that work really well, which is exciting to me because um, in my products right now are all sweet, but I'm looking forward to introducing some savory flavors down the road. And is there, you know, I'm thinking, what is it? Uh, you pair red wine with meat and maybe white wine with fish. How would you, what would you recommend somebody pair their cricket uh their cricket sourced uh, protein with? Um, I think that historically crickets have been paired with uh, tequila, Moscow, and they do a salt cricket rim. Um, So crickets are, yeah, they're very popular in Mexico in alcohol for sure. Liquor. They're the, uh, the, the, the party protein, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and beers too. Um, if you roast crickets whole, then it becomes kind of like it, popcorn. So I could see in, um, beer halls, like having a bowl of crickets with your beer. <laughs> oh. There's a, uh, maybe... I think it's a national chain. Maybe it's like Texas Roadhouse or something, but they're known for having buckets of peanuts and stuff. And you crack the peanuts. Uh, I'm I'm hoping that at some point, uh, Mighty Cricket achieves that level where it's no longer buckets of peanuts, it's buckets of crickets at every table. (laughs) Totally. In fact, um, I forgot about this. One of the other things that kind of shut down in 2020 was um, 
as helping this local entrepreneur open a new restaurant and we're going to have a little bug bar in there and have um, Mighty Cricket a prominent part of his menu. Um, so that was another project that totally got slammed. But, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll bounce back and um, come up with more innovative things to do in the future. Absolutely. It's 2021. I mean, all that stuff's in the past now. It's <laughs> what's done is done. I think, yeah, the... Yeah, the you know your the opportunities uh, probably are are almost limitless. I mean, because it is such a such a new innovative industry, you know, it's up to you to to try and fail. It's probably both a huge source of anxiety, but also a probably maybe a great source of optimism about things is knowing how much you might have control over. Yeah, it's so fun. I love creating. And I just come up with different campaign ideas and different fun things to do and try and find, connect with the right people who um, can help me make that happen. And so if any of the listeners have any ideas, I'd love to bounce them back. But here's an idea that I wanted to do. Um, And this kind of goes along with making Mighty Cricket, um, like St. Louis really embracing that and celebrating Mighty Cricket, it's this like innovative St. Louis founded thing. Um, I would love to create a cricket statue, this giant metal cricket with solar panels on top of it. So it would be a charging station that we could put in, um, I don't know, downtown St. Louis or in some field or something where people can go and it could either charge their phones or the solar panels can um, light up the wings of the cricket so that it's lighting for this area. So it'd be a piece of art and then um, a functional use to it. And then it would um, also just be a mighty representation of innovation that's happening here in St. Louis. And then we, I could do a little plaque that talks about the small but mighty power of cricket as, um, you know, a future food source or whatnot to give, just to inspire people. And so I have um, an artist who can design it and I have the, a person can, who can actually make, rig up the solar paneling on the cricket and, do the installation. I just need to find someone who has the land and wants to um, put this art piece on there. Yeah, I love that idea. To hell with the arch. I tell you what you need to do. Forgiveness, not permission. Just go downtown, get this thing set up overnight, and then dare the city to remove it. <laughs> and make it so big. Make it just so big that it's like impossible. You know, you can't just load it up in the back of your truck, but it would legitimately take like a construction crew to remove it. I think, yeah, that's the that's the best way. I love that idea. That's a really cool idea. I think it's... um. Yeah, I'm all on board for that. I'm I'm one of, I'm one of those yes men. Do it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think it would be awesome. It'd be like so just such a wonderful story visual representation of uh, that I think St. Louis could embrace. Yeah. I I think it, I think it is a really innovative idea. Um 
not surprisingly. But all right, well, sir, you know, we're coming up on an hour and I want to be super respectful of your time, but I want to leave. And this has just been like, I could go on for at least another hour. I mean, this really is uh, <laughs> my, my brain's spinning with all sorts of different questions. Um, but, you know, before before I let you go, I think uh, one thing I want to give you the opportunity to do is is not sell Mighty Cricket because that's just that's just it comes off as gimmicky. But I want. You know, I want listeners to understand because the whole point of this show is, you know, the, the title is It Matters to Me. Um, and it's about these things that really matter to us, um, regardless of, of the results. Uh, but it sounds like for you, from talking to you, that, you know, you have such a drive not only for entrepreneurialism as a, as a standalone kind of passion, but, you know, what you just mentioned, like creativity. And there we've talked about the environmental aspect of this and wanting to provide for low-income families, which is such such a noble cause. Um, but what I want to give you the, the opportunity to do is, let's say 20 years from now, you're looking back and you get to write the narrative of what Mighty Cricket is. What do you, what do you want people to think of most when they hear the term Mighty Cricket? Um, I want them to be inspired to live mighty, but realizing that living mighty is not about doing really big things, but it's about the summation of a lot of small things. So the cricket is such a small little guy. He's only, you know, an inch big at most, um, but the potential is so large and when you add it all up and every single time you make a purchase of a more sustainable food source, doing it day in, day out over decades of your life adds up to becoming a really mighty impact. Um, so that's what we're all about is making a mighty impact. And, and uh, we use the term small but mighty to convey that. I love it. it. It represents what I think you're doing quite well. And um, I want to just say again, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know it's Mighty Cricket's on to bigger and better things in this show, but it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you, Adam. I really appreciate it. All right, y'all. That's it for this episode of the It Matters to Me podcast with my guest, Sarah Schlafly, founder of Mighty Cricket. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to Mighty Cricket's website and social and anything else we talked about in our interview. Also, if you have a minute and you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review. And if there's someone you think I should have on the show or if you think that there's something I could be doing better, please let me know by writing an email to adam at itmatterstomepodcast.com. But above all, I want to say thanks for listening. And until the next one, this is Adam Casey signing off.